0: Welcome to episode number seven of our Machinery Pete podcast. Thank you for stopping by, folks, and spending some time with us. I think we've got a show you're really going to enjoy today, and we need to thank our friends at Case IH for sponsoring our podcast. Make sure to stop in and visit your local Case IH dealer. Check out all the latest uh, products and services they have. Uh, They're there to help you. And we also need to mention, uh, not much time left on it, but our Machinery Pete price slasher sale event. Runs through the end of the month, October, uh, through the 31st. And I tell you what, we've got dealer partners all over the country offering some deep discounts on uh, a list of equipment nearly 500 items deep. Uh, Folks, I've seen combines mark down 45 to 60,000 bucks on the sale. Again, dealers trying to move a few pieces before the end of the year here. So go to machinerypeat.com. You'll see the link. It's our price slasher event. Um, you can just go to machinerypeatcom sale and check out these items. And again, the savings are good through the end of the month, October 31st, so check that out. Now on this episode, our uh, tractor pick of the week is a Ford 9N. Now, I think you'll see why I picked that one in just a little bit here when we get to our guest. But uh, 9Ns, of course, iconic tractor. Uh, Ford started making them in 1939, made them for a few years into the early 40s. Uh, so far this year we look on the auction front, the average auction price on an nine n is running just over $800. Bucks, actually, $802. And I've seen a range from $1,300 on the high side down to $250 for one that's uh, seen better days. Now, the one at $1,300, just to give you a little color on that one, that sold April 25th of 19. Farm auction in Clare City, Minnesota. It's actually the town where I played my last high school basketball game. District playoffs, 1984, Benson Braves. We lost, but uh, happy memories. Clare City's a great town. But that Ford 9N there, again, brought 1300 bucks, and that was sold by my friends at Hensel Auction Incorporated. Alan & Ladon have uh, been really helpful to me over the last 30 years. They do a super job. I know they've got some nice sales. Coming up, you might want to check out. Now, most of the nice 9Ns I've seen the last few years at auction kind of fall in that 1100 to $1,250, $1,300 range, if they're nice. Um... Just to give you a little idea, uh, 20 years ago, uh, or almost 20 years ago, in the year 2000, the average auction price on a 9N was $1,521. And back at that year, the highest auction price I saw was $2,000, and the low was 385. dollars uh, Now, the highest auction price I've ever seen on a 9N Ford, this was quite an amazing one. You folks might remember it if you watch the Meekum Gone Farming show on RFD-TV. They had a sale, I think it was November 10th of 2018 at their Davenport location, and they had a 39 model 9N with an aluminum hood. I mean, this thing, was talk about cool looking. Actually sold for 32550 bucks. So that kind of skewed my averages on 9Ns a little bit there, but again, that's the highest 9N I've ever seen. Now, the reason I picked 9Ns is because the guest on our podcast this week, which I like to interview folks, uh, it was actually an interview I did nine years ago this month, October of 2010. It was a, a YouTube video series that I posted. Um, probably some of the most, or one of the most fun interviews I've ever done. Now I I had just started our YouTube channel the year before, our Machine Repeat YouTube channel in August of 2009, and since then I think I've posted over 1,500 YouTube videos. But I had a friend that worked for John Deere, Jacob Bolson down uh, I can't remember if Jace, Jacob is in uh, Waterloo, I think maybe, but he had told me he'd been in my ear for a couple of years. Pete, there's this guy. you got to come talk to an interview. And it was Harold Brock. Now many of you maybe have seen uh, the YouTube uh, interview I did with Harold and anyway, Harold, I just want to feature that again because one of the the coolest things I've done over the years is when I get a chance to interview folks in their 90s, might be a farmer, Might be an old retired farm equipment dealer, might be a manufacturer, but there's so much knowledge. And I'm not even sure, I'm trying to remember why or what made me reach out to Harold because Jacob had been in my my ear a couple years. Pete, you got to go talk to this guy. So this was October of 2010. Harold was 95 years old, almost 96. And Harold was the chief engineer on the Ford 9N and the John Deere 4020. In fact, Harold was John Deere's first worldwide director of tractor engineering. Iconic individual. So anyway, I called Harold up back then, and I said, Harold, on Machine Machinery Pete. I don't know if you've heard of me, but I'd love to come visit with you. And boy, Harold was so gracious. I went down and spent an afternoon with him in Waterloo at his condominium there. and it, We filmed this video. You can go watch him on YouTube. Just type in Machinery Pete Harold Brock. And I was so green at video on YouTube, I hadn't figured out yet that when you're videoing someone, don't shoot towards the sun. But just so happened Harold had a a favorite uh, lazy boy chair he liked to sit in, and he was 95 years old, almost 96. So I said, Harold, you sit wherever you want, and I'll just turn the camera on. And just talking to Harold, it was amazing. Harold actually went to work for Henry Ford himself when he was a 15-year-old kid in Detroit in uh, 1929. Henry Ford was in his 60s, so back when they would take kids as an apprentice out of high school. So to be able to talk to Harold about what it was like working with Henry Ford and Thomas Edison would come to the plant, George Washington Carver, and then to be able to talk to Harold about, you know, working as an engineer to to build the Ford 9N, worked on the 8Ns, and then he hopped over to John Deere and talked to him about the next generation tractors. So Harold passed away just not even three months after I visited him. He passed away on uh, January 2nd, 2011, at the age of 96. And I was, I've been ever thankful that I listened to my friend Jacob and went to visit Harold before he passed and recorded this video and audio. So we're going to share that audio now again. Iconic figure Harold Brock. Chief Engineer on the 49N and the John Deere 4020. Again, this is from an interview I did with him back in October of 2010.
1: We plant corn in Iowa, spray soybeans in Illinois. We pull calves in Kansas, farrow hogs in Minnesota. We raise rice in Arkansas, rye in Canada, and wheat everywhere in between.
0: We We farm farm millions millions of acres across North America. America
1: and build every piece of Case IH equipment. Built by farmers, for farmers. Case IH, rethink productivity.
0: Well, machine repeat here, and Harold, I want to thank you for having me down today. It was very nice of you to make time. I know you have a very busy schedule, but uh, boy, I think uh, we've got some pretty cool history here of uh, kind of the development of American agriculture, and it's a direct link back through you, my friend. Uh, why don't you tell me again uh, how you started with Ford back in what year was it, Harold? 1929.
1: 1929.
0: And you actually worked, you were an apprentice for Henry Ford.
1: At, at his me. He was my apprentice for him and along with his uh, about six or eight skilled uh, craftsmen. They were not engineers. They were all okay. skilled people.
0: Sure. So you worked on the automotive side for Ford? I worked
1: on the Malay. Oh, A.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So you started in the late 20s, and then tell me about how how uh, the 8N and the 9N your your involvement there, um, with with helping Ford develop those tractors, Harold.
1: Well, Ford had an insatiable desire to get rid of animal power, and that went back to the early days of the Model T. So sure, he wanted to get rid of animals, horse and buggy. So he made okay. a vehicle that would replace the horse and buggy, and and then he. In the, during World War One, the British uh, farmers' children were all gone to war, and he made the uh, Fordson for England. Oh, sure. Uh, so that they could uh, farm with right. machinery instead of horses. Right. And uh, and then he continued to make the and but he never could. Fordson was a drawbar tractor and never really uh, saw getting rid of all the animals. So in 1939, he was still having uh, the Fordson people work on different designs of tractors that might take the place of horses and mules. And um, uh, Ferguson came along with his idea of a three-point hitch, and he'd made some tractors in England, which wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And he got crosswise with David Brown, and and came to U.S. to get someone interested in his idea. Okay. Went to J.I. Case, and they weren't interested, and came to Mr. Ford, and demonstrated how with his three-point hitch, uh, he could go into a little enclosed area and plow, and just disc couldn't come sure. out, and I wheel marks with his hydraulic okay. lift. And that impressed Mr. Ford, and of course Mr. Ford didn't ask anyone what we should do. He made the decision. He was the boss, huh? so he just shook hands with Ferguson and said, "Well, we'll de- will wow. we'll design a new tractor and we'll make and You can sell it." Okay. And that's how it got started. And, wow. uh, his And then they uh, had the fellow in charge of the Fords and tractors uh, start with Ferguson, uh, but there my the fellow in charge of engineering, um who I work for, him, uh, talked to Mr. Ford about me taking over because the problem was that this fellow was on the Fords and uh he thought he knew more about designing a tractor than the people were gonna tell him how oh. to design it. Mm-hmm. So Ford Furt- Ferguson wanted to be there and Ford wanted to be there uh the chief operating officer and and then the chief engineer they all wanted to say i'm i'm the one that's going to do it we want to do it in a hurry and mr Ferguson impressed mr ford on the fact that we should do it in a hurry and this was in december of 38. Uh, december 1938 okay Uh and uh and so anyway uh simpson Couldn't get along with all these different bosses giving him instruction, and none of them would get together as a group. Okay. So my my boss said, Well, since you've been apprenticed to Mr. Ford and he likes you, you take over. So I took over, and then they "They came to me. Well, uh, each one I'd have to say, Yes, I'm listening. But then when I got through, well, I did it my own way. But but I had to be very diplomatic because they never get together as a group. Mm. So anyway, Uh, they gave me the challenge, and, and the challenge was that by Mr. Ford, that if you could make a, a tractor that would uh, replace the a team of animals and the harness and 10 acres of land, yep. the cost of that, it would be so good for the farmer, country, sure. he could raise food on the 10 acres, yep. not have to work for those animals, and it would also be more productive.
0: So that was really Henry Ford's mission. That's, to that's, that's
1: his mission, and he wasn't a profit-oriented, so... He said that was five hundred eighty-five dollars, and and so when we got through and went into production, six months took takes about three four years dear to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But anyway, uh, we we went into production and uh, we didn't know what cost was really. Mm -hmm. So we put the thing in the middle of the car industry. The factory that was making a total car, 100,000 employees. Wow. So we put the tractor line right in the middle of the factory and, and put Ferguson's office also in the factory Jeez. and didn't and tell Mr. Ford what it cost because we didn't really know. So we did sell it for five hundred eighty-five. Five hundred eighty-five dollars was the. That was retail. That was the 8 n Yeah. No, 9 n The 9 n Okay. So anyway, that's how it got started, and then of course the war came along and shut us down. Right. Because of critical materials, and uh, yeah. and after the war, of course, the, uh, they Ford reorganized by bringing uh, Henry the Second, the old man, probably gave up. He uh, was getting very feeble.
0: Okay. <clears> so now, when you started working for with with Henry Ford, Harold, senior. you were how old? You were twenty.
1: I was fifteen you when were, I first started as his, been in the pre school.
0: Okay, that's right. You were fifteen, and Henry was in his sixties. Sixties. Okay. okay. What was he like as a, just as a
1: guy? Oh, he was wonderful. He, he liked young people, but uh, older people were afraid of him. He made decisions beyond. The, off a hip shot from him, oh, okay. Hip. and they were never feeling very secure with him. And uh, huh. of course, I was a, was a trade schooler, and I felt very secure with him. And uh, and he liked young people.
0: Huh. I'll so meet anyway,
1: that. he was a good boss, and also he wanted to be the project engineer. He was a micromanager. Okay. Because he would come in every morning and say to Mister Sorensen, who had no titles, he was no organizational charge for it. Okay. And Charlie had the total world right operations. He'd say to Charlie, How many people are are producing a part of the car? And Charlie would say, a hundred thousand. And how many are not producing a part of the car? Well, two hundred and fifty. And so that's how I kept his costs down. He had no accountants, no lawyers, T- uh, and he would just wanted to produce a low cost car. Right. Uh, but he was there as a project engineer. He, he didn't want to be in his office. He was not an office okay. person. So uh, I had lots of acquaintances. And, of course, since he was not a socialite, he had lots of famous friends that would mm. come and visit him, like sure. George Washington Carver and uh, wow. Harvey Firestone and Burroughs and Burbank. And
0: So you got and, to help. And so
1: I got the chance to meet them. Gee. In fact, you know, and... February, we have what we call Black History Month. Mm-hmm. The third grade teacher here at Logan found out a new car because he worked with us on soybeans. Sure. Oh, really? Uh, she said, would you come talk to my third graders? And I said, yeah, I'm happy
0: to. About here. George Washington Carver.
1: So anyway, I got some bag of peanuts and I talked to them. And she introduces me to these 50 young people as, as knowing all these famous people
0: Yeah.
1: in uh, Ford and Edison Carver that's right. Of, you mentioned
0: you knew, yeah, you know, you kn- you met Thomas Edison.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So anyway, she introduced me. You know, well, the boy gets so excited, holds up his head. He said, "Wow!" He said, "You knew all those famous people. Did you know Moses?" And I said, "No, <laughs> not, not quite that old." <laughs>
0: not he Moses.
1: He thought I should have known Moses. Oh, too.
0: that's priceless. Right, but
1: anyway, uh, yes, Carver came up to help us make parts of the cars. So, you know, okay. today the Ag group. This biochemistry is the latest thing of making right. parts out of organic sure. materials. Sure, sure. Well, it started with Carver. back when. I'll be darned. Because we we produced the soybean and made parts out of it. Of course, then plastics came along and killed that. <laughs> Darn plastics. But it did start then back in the 30s. Wow. I
0: just came to visit you here. You mentioned that uh, you had spoken recently with the, uh, was it Ellen
1: um no lulling, no
0: lulling. Okay. Yeah. The Lolly. The Lolly. Okay. Is he the CEO of Ford? Yeah. And you're in contact, and he he was picking your brain on something.
1: Uh... Well, he was. They're trying to get back to the core values that made Ford successful. Okay. So they, they found that I worked with Mr. Ford, so I would have have a, a good idea of what made him what his values were. Yes. And I could tell him what his values was to make a low cost product. Uh, not profit-oriented. He didn't want to lose money, but he was not profit oriented.
0: Not profit-oriented. Now, what how, that does not jive with today's corporate... Uh, well,
1: they have to have a good report now. Yes. A corporate report. Yes. So they are. So back then, Mr. Ford had no uh, dividends to pay. and no stockholders. And he mm-hmm. didn't take a salary. never carried any money. And he always told me... Uh, never
0: carried any money?
1: No. And when I was with him... Um, and I was an apprentice to him. Well, I was getting, I think, 13 cents an hour I was being paid. 13 cents an and, hour. And I said, and the factory workers were getting about, oh, 40 cents an hour. Okay. But <clears throat> I'd say to him, well, I, I want to, I need more money to, to impress my girlfriend. I'd like to take her out to show him and buy her a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd, he'd say, money's not. Don't even talk about money. It's of it no importance, he said. It's only about what you do with money to make, build a better world for other people. Wow. And so he never carried any money. And when I, I'd go with him and, and he'd want to get a candy bar, so would borrow a nickel, and <laughs> i never get it back. Henry and then, Ford's
0: borrowed from nickel, front, and nickel what, from you, uh, That's
1: Awesome. And the other thing was that. Uh, And and 33, you know, and he also said, "Now with your 13 cents an hour, you got to save some money. And I said, (laughs) oh, that's kind of tough. So, he said, if you save a dollar, I'll match it. And and I said, well, that's a challenge. So anyway, in in 33, when the bank holiday came, I had saved $57.93. And... And I said, you know, I can't get my money back now. You said to save it, but the banks are all closed. And mm. He said, I can't get mine either. So you go out and, and box up all the few engineers' t- tools we have, and we're going to send them all home. <laughs> we oh. will not have any money. <laughs> wow. But uh, we brought them back after the banks opened. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but he was not money-oriented at all, though. He was just wouldn't focused on...
0: Focused on solving problems. Uh, on,
1: on doing something. And Edison was the same way in Carver. All three of those characters were cut from the same cloth. Now, like, Thomas
0: Edison, he came to visit Henry, and that's how you met him? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. He came okay. there. We put in uh, his little lab where he invented a light bulb. Uh-huh. We put that in the Greenfield Village. is early Americana wow. village there at Dearborn. Okay. And he was there with his little superintendent as we transferred all that stuff over from New Jersey. Okay. And I, so what
0: was I, Thomas Edison like?
1: The same way. He uh, very quiet, uh, putted at night uh seldom went to bed. He had sat in his chair in his little lab, and and Francis Jell, his little superintendent, uh, uh, would have to stay there with him because he, he said, well, Mr. Edison would get, get an idea at 2 o'clock in the morning, and he sat in that chair and would have to go to work. He's got to get out. <laughs> so, so Edison was still active right up Right up to the end. He was not a socialite. Okay. And I also had a hearing problem. and hmm. I remember um, uh, we used to yell in one ear and we said to him, well, wouldn't you like some kind of a hearing aid? And And he said, no, if I could hear, he says, my wife would make me go to church. And so he was (laughs) real happy not Uh, being able to hear. Wow. But he was just, he and Carver and and Ford were all the same. They they puttered at nighttime in in their spare time. They didn't socialize.
0: Now, Harold, tell me, I've heard a story, and I I think you mentioned before to me that's true, about the development of the 8N and its Mm -hmm. color scheme. Yeah. Very distinctive red and gray that, of course, everyone in American agriculture is known for. For decades and decades, the old 8 Tell me about how that came about.
1: Well, when we broke from Ferguson, we wanted to make a different tractor and, and also have something to identify it as uh, being a, a Ford tractor. And, sure. And, and I suggested to the management that international harvester red was the proper thing for a chassis because when it rusted you didn't see the rust on the casting. makes sense so mm-hmm. they agreed that that would be good and um and i said on the sheet metal we ought to have a different color and, and a light color would be nice because it doesn't wouldn't show chickens roosting on it sure and so they said well we'll have a vote as to what the color scheme should be. So most of them picked out the school colors of they were. And, right. And they let me tab the vote. And, and my wife had a nice, beautiful dress that was red and silver combination. And I thought, well, that was a wonderful combination. Mm-hmm. So when I tabulated the vote, I said, well, it turned out to be red and silver. <laughs> red <laughs> and silver.
0: Well, Harold, now, you after Ford in the late 50s, uh, you went to work for John Deere. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And what year was that?
1: 1959.
0: 1959, you went to work for Deere. And what was your your title for Deere?
1: I was an assistant research engineering. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so the the kind of the mission at that time for deer in the late 50s was to develop a...
1: a the new generation of tractors. Okay. Of the 3010, 4010 tractors.
0: Okay, the 10 series. So now we're coming up on a 50-year anniversary. Yes. Of the release of those. And tell me what the early days with deer were like back in the late 50s, early
1: 60s. Well, it was um, a complete reorganization for deer. It was a... A major change to deer as great as we had in the model going from the Model T to the Model A to, mm-hmm. at Ford. Everything was changed except for okay. paint. Hmm. And that was true with deer. Okay. Everything was going to with a clean sheet of paper. There wasn't gonna be any carryover of the old design. Hmm. And so the only thing was carried over was the green and yellow paint. And how many
0: engineers were involved? Well,
1: they just had a handful of engineers to start. Okay. And maybe half a dozen. And then they hired a lot of new graduates sure. uh, in uh, fifty in the fifty late fifty nine okay. period, and uh, they were just out of college, and um, and so we, we got up to probably a thousand in thousand engineers, and um, but most of them had never designed anything for high production, okay, um, but good engineers. So.
0: Well, the now the ten series was so successful. What are your recollections as that um, model series rolled out and that it was so well received by uh, the public?
1: We, we here took about four years, to de- four, five years to develop that. Okay. And we had an excellent help, both from the industrial design group of Dreyfus as well as uh, engineering from outside helping us. Uh, okay. Uh, we had uh, uh, Kennedy, the president uh uh, orthopedic doctor, come and help us design the seat.
0: John F. Kennedy's L- orthopedic L- doctor L- helped L- you design L- the seat for the L- L- ten series,
1: right? And we were really careful about ergonomics, and and everything was going to be powered powered by hydraulics, right? Uh, which was unique to have a, yes. a new hydraulic system, which right. was unique to the industry, by the way. Sure. And so the whole, tractor really advanced all the state of the art, and the three-point hitch was advanced in its capabilities mm. over the little Ford tractor. Mm. So it really advanced the whole state of the art of the tractor what
0: industry. What do, do you remember about that time period, Harold, from the customer feedback level that was coming back to Deere through the dealers that really well-received on the 10 Series? Well, we
1: were concerned because we said, now we're going to this high-speed engine. The old putts, okay, and the farmers may not like that and uh, think it's going to wear itself out. Uh, but we kept the piston speed of the new engine the same as the old two cylinder. So. Okay, um, but we were concerned about that. And the other thing that we were concerned about, and, and uh, was the fact that they decided that if they used three point hitch equipment okay. uh, instead of drawbar equipment, right? Which we put on the tractor that. Um, it need more horsepower. We could run it faster instead of running those old drags at 2 mile an hour. We want right. to uh, run them at 5 mile an hour. Well, to do that, the horsepower goes up exponentially. It's a needless speed. So, anyway, we went from what, about 45 horsepower up to uh, 50 and, and 80. Was it 50 and 80? About 50 mm-hmm. and 80. Mm-hmm. Thirty ten 40, 10, Uh To run faster. Okay. Well, now, what happened was a lot of farmers bought the tractor, but they wanted to use the old equipment, not buying three-point-inch equipment. Sure. So when they tried to pull these old things at two miles an hour, the little tractors didn't weigh enough. Uh, Yeah. So we had to quickly put more weight into the the 3010 4010 okay but it was designed gear wise to take that extra weight right it didn't shorten the life any. Wow. but we were concerned about the fact that uh, would farmers accept the higher speed engine and, and all of
0: well now okay we roll through the 10 series now we're look we're coming up on the 20 series 1964 tell me about that thought process and what went into that
1: well we had um in the 20 series we we didn't have the power shift so transmission on the 10 series. And right. and, um, and we designed a new transmission, completely new, uh, which was very successful. Never had any complaints. No. And um, and then uh, uh, one of our test people got killed in, uh, at night time with a loader test. Um, and we started work on a roll guard and hmm. a safety cab. Okay. So we ended up being the first industry to do that, wow. it's quite a bit of research to do it I properly. Uh, so that puts deer in first place. Mm-hmm. The rest of the group didn't have that. Sure. So the 20 series nearly got off to a big boost by those two things: the power shift transmission right. and the, and the um, fact.
0: Well, and then we
1: also Waterloo also designed the first industrial equipment for deer too. Okay.
0: And you had a hand in, in that yeah, line too. We were involved okay. In that. Okay. Now you worked for Deere until the 80s, Harold. Uh, yeah, 85 I think. 85. Yeah. Okay. And you're by the along the way you attained the title. What was it? Worldwide.
1: En- I was yeah. the first director of worldwide tractor design.
0: Wow. So kind of the main tractor design guy for the mm-hmm. for the for the main main. Mm-hmm. A company in the world that's uh yeah
1: well, we got him in first place yeah
0: you sure did harold that's awesome what do you remember about the, the the 70s and 80s with deer what what uh were some challenges or achievements that really uh that well, stick with continued you
1: know? to advance you know state of the art of, of comfort and uh convenience for the consumer the right. farmer right right and so that they can do more productive work with one man hour and one woman hour. Right. And of so having one horse. And
0: now that's how I was going to say. That sounds like an echo of Henry Ford's mission yeah. there, doesn't it? That <laughs> kind of stuck with you, I think, Harold, didn't it? Yeah.
1: Well, when you think of a woman or a child now can run 500 horses out in front instead of one horse. Right. And they don't have to put the horse away at night and take care of yeah. them, Yeah. Cool them all.
0: Yeah. So now I asked you before uh, we were just visiting, but when you look at a modern tractor, um, Deere's new tractor or you know Case International, Ford, what what do you what do you think of these massive rigs with GPS and auto steer and?
1: Well, I think it's marvelous that they can do that. Yeah, because you know the original design. The little Ford uh, 9N was the first tractor to have an automotive design. Hmm. Uh, the rest of the industry just has some sheet metal that they bent square. Okay. Uh, and and the little line in was designed in thirty thirty nine. Looked like a Mercury Mercury design mm-hmm. car. And, wow. Um, uh, and it had sheet metal. It had forms to it, y'all. Okay. So deer in the industry back in that time in thirty nine was very rugged looking with no sheet metal at all hardly on it. Mm-hmm. And of course, over a period of time, Dreyfus Group did a marvelous job of reed rehashing the design of the vehicle.
0: So it was kind of a teamwork aspect yeah, so there.
1: And we have materials that are more stretchable and we're not into plastics, okay. which we didn't have originally. Right. And so the whole industry makes much more attractive hmm. uh, units.
0: Well, what about, Harold, uh, okay, these iconic tractors you had a hand in developing, your 8Ns, your 4010s, 3020s, 4020s, and right on down the line. When you see that they're still such a staple of the, you know, working agriculture out there. Um, and I see that every day, um, talking to farmers all over the country. That, that has to give you kind of a neat feeling inside, I would imagine, to design these tractors, and they're, they're still doing the job all these decades later.
1: Well, I'm proud of what we accomplished. I I mean, these accomplishments weren't just me. Sure. So my staff, I always had a good staff, but I also kept myself very involved in the design area. Mm-hmm. I was never an office paperwork person, and I got that from Mr. Ford, too, <laughs> the, he didn't have anyone. Only a paper we could have with Mr. Ford was what you carry in your pocket, and that's why I got these little cards. There you go. So, uh, I always want to be the, the project engineer, too, you know, so, <laughs> and I'm so proud of what we've done as an industry. Right. It wasn't just deer, you know, the rest of the industry did a nice job. Right.
0: Well, that's pretty cool, Harold. It's, uh. Yeah, I I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with with me today, and uh, gosh, I think a lot of people are going to find your insights into the development of all these classic tractors uh, fascinating. It's just been uh, terrific. Thanks again.
1: It's been a labor of love.
0: Well, there you go, folks, my interview from nine years ago this month with Harold Brock. And again, that was just uh, less than three months before Harold passed at age 96. And I just loved his last comment there, kind of a message to us going forward, kind of a sign-off. He said, uh, you know, Pete, it's been a labor of love. And isn't that the truth? I think in these challenging times in agriculture, for all of us, it's important to remember that. Times are tough, but we're doing this um, out of a good place. Feed the world. And again, important message to remember. So again, I hope you enjoyed our visit with Harold there, and just a little... uh, Something to think about here as Thanksgiving is coming up about a month from now. I try to remind people of this, especially young people, every year on social media, but when you have the chance and you're around your relatives, your grandma, your grandpa, your uncle, your great-aunt, and we all have these cell phones with great video and audio, record them. Ask them some questions. What was it like in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s? Uh, There's so much knowledge there. And the the other thing I've always been struck by, is just people's voices. So to hear Harold, you know, nine years later, delivering you know his life's truth, very powerful. So again, think about that with Thanksgiving coming up. And again, thanks to our sponsors, Case H, for making this Machine Repeat podcast possible. And thank you for stopping by. Until then, we will uh, we'll see you with the sales.